What's up, guys? Our Wrestling Podcast back at you with another episode. This is Dave Vicious along with Jess, the Total Package, Craig, the British Bulldog, and Cuss is off this week, bringing you our perspective on the world of professional wrestling. No inside sources, no ties to the industry, just stories from the diehards sharing opinions with you. Someone feed me today's topic. Dave? It's a somber one. It's about Mr. Wonderful. Mr. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. The passing of Mr. Wonderful is bringing on this episode. It's going to be a good one. For audio fans, give us a listen on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Google Podcast. Or watch our videos on YouTube at Our Wrestling Channel. On social media, give us a follow on Instagram or Twitter at OWP2019. Or on Facebook at Our Wrestling Podcast. Craig, are you ready to get wonderful? I am. I'm glad we're doing this. Uh, really sad news. We knew he wasn't uh, doing very well health-wise uh, the last couple of weeks, and then we kind of got the news and had a little um, had a little moment uh, in, in the text thread that we kind of shared this week. Uh, I know everyone's doing Mr. Wonderful, but it is important to remember him, unheralded kind of hero of the rock and wrestling era. Um, uh, was a trailblazer in many ways. Uh, tough, one of the toughest guys you'll probably ever meet. He's, I mean, he's bigger than life. Uh, I, I'm glad we're talking about him, and we're glad we're going to turn around this kind of fairly quickly. So, people uh, who don't necessarily grew up during the, the the rock and wrestling kind of section and the importance of him, um, you get to know kind of the, the impact that he had and who he was. I know um, he, he had a, he had a couple of lives like like a cat Orndorff did in our like lives, and it was every every one of them was good. So I think I, the the best way I describe Paul Orndorff, he was the main event guy that would never win the main event on these major levels. Um, he was always that guy that I got, I would almost say got fed, but he could put on a great match and draw crowds and continue to lose in those main events and continue to do it town after town after town. And people wanted to see that. Um, Hogan right behind me is a prime example of that where order of trashes him for about 20 minutes. And then, you know, Hogan eats him alive at the end and, and you go do it tomorrow. You just keep going, just keep making that yeah. gate money. And Orndorff could do that. Um, he was great at that. And, uh, there's a lot that doesn't get said about the guy that gets fed to. So the one that's getting fed, um, I can tell you, if you talk to Hogan, I'm sure he'd be like, this guy was a true professional. I mean, uh, maybe we made a ton of money together. I'm sure he said it many times before. And that, that's Mr. Wonderful at, at his peak is the guy that lost when he yeah. got to the top. You know, that's what he did. Yeah. And he still made money. That's how it worked, you know, but that's, that's Orndorff in a, in a shelf. Yeah. Well said. Let's uh, jump in. We got, we got a ways <laughs> to go. Yeah, this is a big one. Yeah. All right. Before wrestling, Paul Ordorf was born October 29th, 1949 in Brandon, Florida. After earning notoriety as a running back at the University of Tampa, where he scored 21 career touchdowns and gained over 2,000 all-purpose yards in that career. Ordorf was a 12th round selection, uh, 289th overall pick in the 1973 NFL draft by the New Orleans Saints, but failed to pass the physical for the NFL when the, both the Saints and the Kansas City Chiefs do we know why he failed those? Was there a little? I don't know, actually. <clears throat> Interesting. Sure. However, he was able to play for Jacksonville. Uh, that's on the, before it was really Jacksonville, right? These, <laughs> this is more like minor leagues. The Sharks of the World Football League in 1975. After one season with the World Football League, he began training as a professional wrestler. Interesting stuff there. A lot of football players uh, end up being wrestlers, it seems like to me. So, just seems uh, And so I want to say on one of the podcasts... 
I was listening to it. It had to have been a Conrad podcast. Yeah, Conrad podcast. But I, I love wrong. you for that. It might have <laughs> been a. It might have been a Jim Cornette podcast. But uh, he actually fought after football before he got into pro wrestling in like the infant, 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 infant stages of MMA. He fought some bare knuckle fights and uh, or something of that nature for a little brief period of time before he got it became a professional wrestler. So he was a legit tough guy. Yeah. And we're going to hear more and more about how tough he was, but that does not surprise me now that yeah. you said that. Like, not at all. Dude. <clears throat> I'd never want to be on the, on the wrong side of Orndorff. You don't want to be seeing Orndorff in, the, in a dark alley. Not going to be wonderful. That's right. wonderful. Let's get into that early wrestling career. Orndorff started wrestling in 1976 at Mid-South. His first feud was with the young Jerry Lawler and won several regional titles over the next two years. In December of 1978, he began teaming with Jimmy Snuka, and they captured the NWA tag team titles by defeating Is, okay, Greg Valentine real quick, and Baron Von Raschke. Sorry, real quick. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm going to call myself out on this, actually. We bitch a lot about, you know, wrestlers. They, they come up from NXT real quick, or they get, you know, brought into the company, and they win the U.S. title or the Intercontinental title right away, and then they get broken down and rebuilt, and we get pissed off because they won the U.S. title right when they came in, and then they get shit on for two years. But I... The more we do like these old ones, like Orndorff in his first two years was winning regional titles over and over again. I think that, myself included, that we kind of tend to forget that the regional promotions back here, uh, people did trade titles back and forth uh, often. That's your U.S. And, title opportunity. In a sense, and they now. would use that, you know, the Mid-South Junior Small Town <laughs> Heavyweight Championship with the Dairy Queen. Like, that would... That, Cowtown you know, some, trophy. Yeah, like, you know, Orndorff or Ron Simmons or whoever else we're talking about would win that title 45 times, you know, in their first three years in the business. I I don't like it done on a national level like the way it is now, and you see it on TV all the time. It loses its luster. But um, I, I don't know why it just struck me right now. I was like, God, like, regional titles were what the U.S. title and intercontinental title today, are now. It's, good, it's a good call out. Uh, you know, and so I was just thinking about that going, God, like, how many – how many of these guys have we done a legacy of over the last two and a half years we've been doing this podcast? And we're like, they won the, you know, Georgia International Southwestern Championship. Georgia Mall title. In yeah. their first year against, <laughs> you know, Baron Von Rasky or whoever. Like, it, so I don't know. It's just kind of, it just hit me right now. I was like, fuck. Like, in a weird way, like the regional titles now are ICUS, yeah. you know, TNT Championship, whatever else you want to call it. Sort of a variation of a lariat. Notice this now. Brings him up. And his man inside cradled back into a play. And then from there, Bridges has the pressure on him. And uh, again, we see uh, the, the tremendous balance, uh, talents of this man, Paul Orndorff. And he is unquestionably the victor. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry to sidetrack you, but. There you go. In 1979, Orndorff went to Alabama territory of the Southeast Championship Wrestling. In 1980, he began to spend all of his time in the Mid-South Territory. He began to turn heel, and he would feud with Jake Roberts, Ted DiBiase, Junkyard Dog, Dick Murdoch, and Dusty Rhodes. That is not bad company to Th be That's around. a hell of a lineup, right? In just a regional like, territory. If, like, yeah, if you don't... In his first like, three years. If people who didn't grow up in the territories just cannot relate to that, because... A lot of them were still going back and, you know, that was all governed by the NWA at that time. 
So like you were still under the NWA umbrella, but Crockett promotions didn't really dominate the NWA at that time. So it was truly regional, including the WWF, which I think at this point in 80 was already the WWF, but I can't remember. But Vince didn't buy the company from his dad, I want to say, until 82. So like Vince Sr. still owned the WWF at this point. So it was all, all of it. There was no Vince McMahon WWF. It was all under the NWA umbrella back here. So yep. it was just regional. There was no, like, if they had any kind of, like, television, it was just certain promotions. It was all relied upon just local promotions. They were local territories. You went and saw your local wrestling, if it was Southeastern Championship Wrestling or Southwest. So it was such a different world back here. Orndorff was, God, wrestling in 1976? Jesus Christ. Like, he was, yeah. it's amazing to go back and talk about this and how much Wonderful did. Yeah, yeah, only one of us was alive in that year. He started. Right, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah, really. I was That's not right. even born yet. Right. Right. But, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> in 1982, we traveled to Georgia Championship Wrestling, and he would begin, he being Orndorff, began feuding with Buzz Sawyer for the NWA National Heavyweight Championship. He would win that championship from Buzz, but forfeit the title so he could challenge Ric Flair for the NWA Heavyweight Championship he was unsuccessful in that attempt. But in late 1982, he would travel Japan and wrestle for a few months in New Japan Pro Wrestling at that time. Also, how many legacies are we doing where we talk about good wrestlers that we all love and they, they all traveled Japan. New Japan to learn to work? It's amazing. Yeah. We're jumping into World Wrestling Federation from 83 to 88. Orndorff would sign with uh, Mr. McMahon in the WWF in the late 1983 period. In early 1984, he would take on Rowdy Piper as his manager and partner. Shortly after, Bobby Heenan would then manage Orndorff. Orndorff made his WWF debut, like match debut, right, Jess? On yeah. January 23rd, 1984, on the same card, Hulk Hogan defeated the Iron Sheik to win the WWF championship. I did not until I was doing the research. Yeah, until I was doing the research, I did not know that. I did not either. Sounds like there might have been a a non-compete clause somewhere or something for a little bit where he couldn't wrestle. It seems kind of He was probably just he was probably doing a lot of promos. Promos or maybe maybe he was injured. That's interesting. He didn't jump in right away though. I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah. Um again give me a break. Oh Oh, another devastating pile driver well, you can hear that. Look at him. You're right, Vince. And then Orndorff was the first to challenge Hogan for the WW Championship and shot immediately to the main event pitcher. By the end of 1984, Orndorff and Piper were attacking Cindy Lauper and became part of the MTV movement to introduce new fans to the WWF version of pro wrestling. I don't think people understand how big that was. We're talking about the casual here, right? Yeah, and it's also, it's easy to forget Mr. Wonderful, not because he was not the most talented person in the ring, because if you really, if you look at those four, Mr. T, Hulk Hogan, <laughs> Roddy Piper, and Orndorff. He's I would a ringmaster, bro. Technical, <laughs> yeah, technical-wise, but I mean, you know, Cowboy Bob Orton was on the outside. He's fantastic, too. But as far as the in-ring guys were concerned, uh, Mr. Wonderful was easily like the most talented guy in that ring, you know, sure. Piper, Piper was great with his character. And so was Hogan, 
But they were not technical wizards they're at not, all. They're, right. they're, not, they're not. Yeah, they're not tool guys. And know. he was. And what people don't they forget about? You know, Piper and Hogan get credit for that whole time. And Piper and Hogan were a big part of the Rock and Wrestling connection. But Wonderful was right there, and he was part of the big tag team. Dave, you're going to read on. He main evented the first ever WrestleMania, yeah. and so many people fucking forget that because. After that, like, you're going to read on, but his WWF career kind of starts fading a little bit after that, like over the next two or three years. But he was a, he was on MTV. He was on with Piper doing all the, the media outlets for WrestleMania 1. Orndorff was right there. His face was right there. And, uh, and, and I, think, I think Vince always respected Orndorff and knew how talented he was and what a tough motherfucker he was. And I think Piper was super volatile. But I think Wonderful was the guy of all people that was calm, like, you know, and just kind of like would keep Piper like, Piper, just shut the fuck up for don't kill Mr. T, not today, maybe tomorrow, but not today. And I think yeah. I really believe that's me guessing, but I really believe that Orndorff was kind of the most like level headed. Hogan was going crazy being the top of the company, trying to keep Mr. T under wraps. Piper wanted to kill T <laughs> and Wonderful was just like, just can we just be wonderful? Everyone can yeah. just everyone be wonderful. Like, it's, can we I, just I go? Can we just go make some money, please? Yeah, sure. that, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, Mr. T was all over the map. We, we've seen and, you've seen the videos. Wow. And, and important to remember to how uh, how Paul Orndorff was so good at a heel. He did the little things, but he could get you to boo him just the way he reacted to the crowd. Just the, his uh, the little movements, yeah. like yeah, he well, just uh, he and what I was saying here too about how Piper kind of took the spotlight from not because Wonderful was not as talented, but uh, soon after Dave will start reading on here how much money wonderful was worth and what, how good he was. And, and yeah. to Craig, to your point, uh, he, those little things paid off big time in the future. Yeah. We're about to, to... When I tell you to do something, do it. If I tell you what to eat, do it. Cause it's going to help you. Obviously you need to quit eating. Obviously you need to eat a little bit more. You need something. Everybody needs something. I'll tell you what you do, go back over to the gym, Get on the weights, go work out a little bit, get to sweat, and then I'm gonna put you through a little workout and everything. I have to go change, get my stuff on now. And and he, he gave kind of the the spotlight to Piper. I mean, he was just loud and brash and that kind of thing. But like, yeah, he was just a, he was quietly in command the entire time and quietly yeah. just money the his entire runs. Absolutely. On March 31st, 1985, Orndorff and Piper would fail to defeat the team of Hogan and Mr. T in the main event of WrestleMania 1. Uh, they were accompanied by Cowboy Bob Orton, um, who accidentally hit Orndorff with his cast that he wore for about 10 years. I think we yeah, might, yeah. See, might still least. be wearing it right now, I think. Um, uh, and Hogan would get the pinfall to win for his team against Orndorff at that time. On the first ever Saturday Night's main event, Piper and Orton would blame Orndorff for the WrestleMania 1 loss and attack him. This was caught. This would cause Orndorff to come out later inside with Hogan when Piper and Orton were trying to double team him. Piece of garbage, man! No, no, you. Hey, you want to fight? I'll slap you just as fast as you slap me. Let me tell you something, man. You're nothing but a piece of garbage. Not only did you embarrass me, did you embarrass Ace? You embarrassed your own family. You keep my family out of this. You son of dumb son of a what? Wait, wait, if that's the way you're going to be, if that's the way you're going to be, brother, I'm going to take my ball and I'm leaving. To heck with you, man. Order! Oh, order for the left hand! Order with Piper! Look at 
from behind with a cast. After turning face and firing Bobby Heenan, Paul would team with Hogan across the country to take on Piper and Orton. Over the next few months, Heenan would then put a $25,000 bounty over Orndorff's head. Uh, several heels would try to attack and collect that bounty, but they would fall short. And what a build, you know, like, listen, Hogan was in his infancy dominant stage here or whatever. And for Orndorff, you, I mean, as a Hogan fan back in the day when I was growing up, I would deny it till I was blue in the face. But today, I have to admit, Orndorff was getting loud pops, and he was like a big face, like here. Once he turned, like, Orndorff had the look, Orndorff had the talent, and that pile driver for his finishing move was just fucking lights out. And, uh, like, you know, we, again, I was a Hogan guy, but I can could we, understand. Can we pivot to that pile driver? Are we going to talk about that later? Because I was just, I was wondering when we are going to bring that up. I can't. No, you can talk about it now, actually. I mean, I, pile driver, that's a big part of his career, I, man. I, like, yeah, it's massive, and... One thing I started to notice, there was a great Instagram feed on. I'll have to find it and we'll have to try to post it and give this guy some love. But it was a, it was a collage of the pile drivers, right? Yeah, the collage of the pile driver. Yeah. And what I noticed is, I mean, if Paul Order didn't have a, have a hip replaced on his right side, I'd be very very surprised. Because one thing that you don't really notice is that when Orndorff would snap fall, he would snap fall on his right ass cheek every time to protect the head of the person that he was pile driving. It was so beautifully done. But yeah. also so well protected. I don't know if he hurt anyone. If he did, I'd be very surprised. I would but say I never heard, I never heard like, of anyone with a pile driver. I think it's easy to say Orndorff had the best pile driver. However, Jerry Lawler and Bret Hart were very close second places. Bret Hart had a, an amazing pile driver. <laughs> like, but Orndorff to use it as your finisher as yeah. often as Orton did, and Lawler did too. I'm not discrediting Lawler, sure. but um, but like Orndorff, like that pile driver, and he did it to everybody. He did it to Hogan. Like yeah. and and Hogan, that big, big fucking well, not sweaty only lump of to, shit. Like well, to, to get, get Hogan to at that point to trust him to do that. I mean, oh. yeah, he said three hundred and three pounds hit and dropped on his head. Apparently, for, easy brother. For, I said easy brother. Buy my t shirt. Um, we were we were sorry. We were making jokes today. Somebody was somebody posted another thread of mine about how when Hogan got hurt by earthquake, they they had you write in. I know Jesse wrote in to make sure he felt better, and it was just to get the to get the subscriptions for the for the catalog together. Yeah. So we were like, we're like, hey, brother, I'd feel a lot better if you bought my T-shirt, brother. I'd feel I get ten percent, no, brother. I I know you're writing me, bro, but I, I need you need you to buy that T-shirt, brother. Come on, brother. <laughs> oh goodness, uh, Orndorff would tea with various partners like Andre the Giant and Bruno San Martino to continue his feud with Piper and Orton. This eventually started to get under the skin of Orndorff as he wanted to be his own man and be world champion, something that we were just kind of talking about. At WrestleMania 2, Ordorf would wrestle Don Morocco to a double countout. Which is <laughs> weird and non-climactic. I, <laughs> yeah. I never understood that. So weird. Yeah. Rest of it, yeah. Because, I, I mean, if I'm going to be real, Morocco, Morocco didn't want to go put him over. I'm just a guess. Main I mean, man, Don Morocco, brother. No, nobody could agree, probably, <laughs> right? It's crazy. My triple B man, my Morocco brother. My, not gonna lose. It's way before he's been. Both you gonna be outside getting double count out, brother. Ah, fuck no. Orndorff, brother. Not gonna scoop on your heat, brother. Oh man, we're on page two of seven. Okay, in 1986, Adrian Adonis <laughs> began to make fun of Order and calling him Hogan Jr. I'm he not sure if I was doing Morocco or Billy Graham. So yeah, it was yeah. Billy Graham. It works yeah, for me. Definitely we was just, doing Billy Graham. Like, like, Morocco like had the same. <laughs> I'll tell you that we're both doing Billy Graham <laughs> for no reason. I think I think, I think Adonis was on to something calling him Hogan Jr. That's getting some real like on the surface heat. He also claimed Orndorff had gone soft since teaming with Hogan. Yeah. 
by the way, said, we uh, haven't even done a Piper this whole time either, and I held off from doing the the Lawler. You tried so hard. Yeah, this was a very yeah. No, I held off from doing the Lawler yeah. and Piper. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. And Piper. Piper might come. I'm I'm going to bring him in when it's, it's going to it's going to it's we'll going to come out. We're it's just gonna. we're loosening up, everybody. So yeah. stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. It's coming. It's coming. I swear. We promise. So. <laughs> Adonis said Hogan didn't care about him, meaning Orndorf. Orndorf tried to call Hulk Hogan on a live segment, but Hogan could not take the call because he was too busy training for upcoming title defenses. So ridiculous and, and so 80s I, movies. I, I will never forget that segment where he's like, hello, and they had Hogan on the phone. He's like, brother, I got to go, brother. I hope you're doing good, brother. I got to train. And he was like, what? And so Wonderful was getting all pissed off because like it was a whole... It was really cool the way they did it with Adonis and everything. Like, he started, Vince, I think, already knew, like, Hogan's the, the face that I need. So, like, let's turn him back around. Let's put him back heel again. Because Orndorff was an excellent heel. And so oh, they yeah. did, They did like, this this months, months of buildup of Orndorff getting pissed off and being called Hogan Jr. by the heels and by Adonis and all that to where he was starting to get mad. And you know what? Hogan doesn't even like you. You say you're Hogan's best friend and you're not. Like, oh, yeah, I can get him on the phone right now. Wonderful. And then they try to get him on the phone. Hogan's like, I got to go, brother. I got to train. So Wonderful was like fuming. And this was a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful setup. And again, Dave, you are marching towards Look arguably one of the best wrestling, like heavyweight championship feuds in wrestling history. You're going to get yeah. come up on. So irritated, Orndorff reluctantly agreed to team with Hogan and faced Big John Stud with King Kong Bundy. During the match, Hogan and Orndorff accidentally collided with each other. Paul sold it like he injured his eye and did not attempt to help Hogan when he was being double teamed by Stud and Bundy. When Stud and Bundy had Hogan beat down, then Orndorff came in and chased them off. Orndorff helped Hogan to his feet, gave him the thumbs up, and clotheslined Hogan to the mat. He then picked up Hogan and delivered his signature pile driver finishing move. It was like that down. heel turn is one of my favorite heel turns ever. For victory, we'll win this matchup, but nonetheless. in the heck was that all about? You gotta be... No! 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 Like, it was so, it was good. so good. Like, you saw it coming a mile away. You can go back and look at these 80 storylines and be like, dude, Orndorff's gonna turn on him. But yeah, he picked him up and he gave him a thumbs up and then just clotheslined the shit out of him. And, like, Hogan knew how important it was. You could see Hogan had his working boots on. He cl he bumped huge from the clothesline. And then Orndorff picked him up and pile drove this 300-pound bloated man, like, with yellow tights on. And it was awesome. And instantly, he was just this mega villain. Yeah. And, uh, so he, good. Yeah, it was so – this turn, I cannot – if you can find it online, and I'm going to put the audio here somewhere. If you can find this turn online, this shit was fucking excellent. Like, I mean, this was – God damn it. You want to make a, a guy like that's that's you think can beat Hogan and you want to make a challenger for Hogan? This is exactly how you do it. And Orndorff had the body. He had the, the fire. He had the tenacity. And, like, this turn was so good, man. I cannot, like, put this turn over enough. This was amazing. Yeah. The funny thing is, though, like, to just this point, we're going to get into this right now, where you need to be epitome heel to make it work and this this could lead to um you know even though this is a great long feud it has to come to an end eventually and you know eventually corner has to 
leave. And this is probably why. Shortly after, Orndorff would rehire Heenan as his manager and begin touring the country, challenging Hogan for the world title. One notable defense was during a tour of Canada. That was on 19, I'm sorry, uh, 1986, August 28th. The WWF held a house show at the Exhibition Stadium in Toronto for a house show for Hogan versus Orndorff for the WWF. And let me say, I've, I've done a little bit of research on this too. You know, nowadays it's like they'll, you know, or especially during like the, the early 90s and stuff. And nowadays they will draw, you'll see Meltzer like report, uh, they had 10,000 people in the arena, 8,000 paid, which means they papered 2,000, you know, seats or whatever. Sure, sure. Um, I could not find anywhere where they papered this house. Canadian cash money uh, to go and watch Hogan and Orndorff in a house show that they eventually, I'm going to steal this from you, Dave, they released it on Coliseum Home Video and you yeah. can find it as the big event. Um, yeah, and the, uh, it was fucking nuts. Like they, they, to draw this many people, and yeah, they went to Canada. But here's the here's the issue with that, right? At the end of it, the crowd was about forty percent behind Orndorff, which yes. I can see Vince having a major problem. Dude, with. at the end of the match, like they uh, Orndorff clotheslined him down and went for the pile driver and did his whole thing, and the place went fucking bananas for him. And he did it, and they 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 lost by DQ. I'll give you the Hogan won by DQ. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. And they were so. By the way, their balls were so big, and Hogan was so big, and Orndorff was so big back here. They could end a 76,000 fan show with a DQ because they were touring, which is part of the tour. And uh, and so, but I guess uh, Orndorff got the belt and put it on himself, and so did Heenan. And when Orndorff was cheering with the belt, like, you know, celebrating with the belt because he thought he won the match, um, the place was actually going crazy, like, for Orndorff. Like, it was pretty an amazing sight to see. And then Hogan- this is it. Oh, oh we're going to have a new champion right here. here. Look out. Oh, going? no, no, no. He's tapping the shoulder of Orndorff. Oh, come on, Paul. There was no count made there. None whatsoever. Orndorff with the belt, but there was no count made. Heenan. Bobby, no. Champion, out cold in the center of the ring. Challenger with the belt raised high. But I don't believe that he is the champion. Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Whether you believe it or not, there wasn't a count made. There wasn't a three count made. The champion was out. He couldn't have said, "I quit." Let's get Ladies the official and gentlemen, word. I have the result. The winner by disqualification, Hulk Hogan. And then Hogan woke up and closed on them both out or whatever and like got his belt back. But like you can't tell me was, that Pop didn't um didn't put a little stake bo- in both guys were though. super over, but you could tell the crowd loved Orndorf, and that was the big thing, like you said, Dave. Yeah. Nowadays that shit wouldn't fly. That's not what Vince wants or whatever. But back here, that's that's some history right there, man. This was a an important event, not just for the people that they drew, but the reaction they both got. This feud was on fire. I'm not gonna steal your thunder, Dave, because you're gonna tell were this how what this feud meant but craig go ahead please Sorry. i wonder if that was the ending for a lot of the house shows on some of these loops i know it was a six month year long feud probably. but like i mean probably. i wonder it was it that's an interesting choice i i i, I, I to, to your point like that to your point i don't believe hogan ever pinned him i don't believe he did 
then that's yeah. that's good. That keeps that keeps all the heat going well, back and alive. Then, and then yeah, we're, it wasn't about ratings back here. It was about no. house show money. That's what kept you already you already alive. had the you already had the. So yeah, you wanted the rumor to go around that Hogan never defeated Orndorff definitively. He, so when he when, came yeah, to when's town, it they happen, would draw yeah. money. Yeah, when's it or when's happen, Order so, finally yeah. going to take it from him? And yep. you go you go to you go to Cowtown to Cowtown to to keep that story alive. Yeah. On December 14th of 1986, on Saturday night's main event, Hogan and Orndorff would, would conclude their feud in a cage match. A false finish saw both Hogan and Orndorff climb over the cage and drop to the floor at the same time. Yeah, other people in the Royal Rumble did it, guys, but these people did it first. The match was eventually restarted and Hogan would escape the cage. This was considered to be the most creative finishes for a WWF World Title match at the time. So right off the bat, right off the 76,000 you know, house show, uh, I'm not going to, again, Dave, you're going to read a comment later that is very true about this feud. But um, then they had this amazing Saturday Night's Main Event match, which was it a wrestling clinic? No, but like the drama in the cage here and the climax of their feud, the double drop off the cage where both feet hit the floor. Dude, like you have Vincent, to time that perfect. Oh, yeah. And Vince and Jesse sold the shit out of it. And like it was so awesome. And they protected... You want to think about it? They were protecting Orndorff. The they did time. not. They did not want Hogan to beat him cleanly. And Orndorff probably was like, "I don't want to do it either." But at the same time, like Vince still approves everything, and Vince was like, "Dude, we got to keep him strong," um, which sucks because shortly after that, this moment, like Orndorff starts to fade quickly as far as like leaving the company is concerned. Yeah. But like they, Orndorff always had, and Piper, both of them were the same. They stood their ground against Hogan and Vince. It was always them going like, "Look, if he beats me every night." I'm not going to be worth anything. And they were protecting their pocketbooks too, right? But at the same time, they were trying to tell Vince, like, if you just feed him heel after heel, you're only going to have like three or four month program after three or four month program. If you just fucking- Which is what that, which is what yeah. eventually happened. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't, exactly. If you don't beat us, we could turn heel and face. We can get years out of this stuff. Like, you know, and then come back and revisit Hogan again, where we heal again, which and is what turn they face did. again. Like, so- I, you could look back and say Orndorff and Piper were selfish assholes, but then you could be like, well, if somebody didn't put Vince and Hogan in check back here, who would have? Mm. You know? It's fair. This half-year-long feud is one of the most notable and profitable feuds in the history of pro wrestling. Yes. I, I Up until the Attitude Era, yep. this was the biggest world title feud in American history. And I, listen, I went back and listened to a, a Meltzer stuff. He's like, I don't even know anything overseas that touched this, this six year span made so much money for the WWF that it's, it held a record for a long time. Those two Hogan and Orndorff feuding, you know, LA to the East coast, to Toronto, to the Saturday Night's Main event television shit, to everything was like the biggest feud for a world title in American history and wrestling history at this point. That's how big this feud was. Like it was, it made a ton of money because you got to think later you know, Hogan and Andre, yes, they drew the biggest house and they had the biggest WrestleMania, but they, Andre wasn't healthy, so they couldn't tour. So Hogan, yep. Andre and Hogan was a one-off at WrestleMania 3, and then they had a rematch like a year later. But Orndorff and Hogan toured the horn, and they went around and made the most money that any two people had ever made. It's amazing to think about that. And, and to, why didn't they ever go? I wonder if there was original plans to do Orndorff and Hogan at like WrestleMania three was, was Orndorff gone by then? Like what uh, were they building up to? What, like, I think Andre thing? fell in their lap. I think Andre, this is me guessing as well. I think Andre's health fell in their lap when he had his back surgery in 86. I think Vince knew TikTok, And <clears throat> I don't know 
Hogan and Orndorff probably would have sold out uh, 93,000 people. I'm sure they would have. But at the same time, I think Vince saw the Andre thing fading. And Andre was so big, his mystique. And he'd never been healed before. So I think Vince saw that and go, I have to, I got to crown Hogan with Andre. And I think the the visual of Hogan and Andre was way more impactful than Hogan and Orndorff. And plus, Hogan and Orndorff had toured for six months. So you had seen and heard about it. Andre and Hogan, you had never heard about yeah. before. Even though Hogan and Andre feuded years before when Andre was a face and Hogan was a heel. But again, when you're in WWF right. land, he can erase history. So I think that Hogan and Orndorff already had worn out the television circuit and the, the house show circuit. I think bleeding them on to WrestleMania 3 might have been a mistake. When you have Andre fall in your lap and his career is TikToking, and I got to put Hogan over, what if Hogan slams him? What if I say Andre was undefeated? What if I say this and that and kind of refigure history to fit my WWF history? Mm-hmm. You go with Hogan and Andre. But you're correct, Craig. I think there was a rumor on one of the Conrad podcasts, too. I think it was with Bruce. And he asked him, a fan asked the question, was Hogan and Orndorff the backup match in case Andre wasn't healthy after a surgery? And, and Pritchard said, of course he was. But that wasn't the reason why he was held off the card at Mania 3. But yes, they did talk about it beforehand. That if Andre's not healthy to go, we can shift and still parlay yeah. right into the Hogan and Orndorff feud and use them at WrestleMania 3. The whole time, the whole few last few minutes, I was trying to, I didn't want to say because I didn't want to seem like a moron. Uh, but I, 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 I couldn't remember Orndorff having a Mania 3 match, but I didn't want to say it out loud in case I was wrong. But that, no, he, just, he was he just not reinforced the, that like he, he was, was not, not on the Mania 3 card. And I don't know whether he left or, or that, but that, no, that he was, sense. he didn't leave until the summer of 87. He was just held off <clears> for whatever reason. I don't know if it was a dispute or, I, I actually know Dave. It's, read the, on. it's the injury we're coming right now. We're yeah, yeah. Read on Dave. Sorry, sorry. And this right, is right. it's yeah. it's um it's the. No, I got it. Yeah, I'm just we'll, ah, it's all good. I'll uh, read the rest of it. During that Hogan feud that we were just talking about, Orndorff seriously injured his right arm in a weightlifting accident because he was in the middle of this huge money run with Hogan. He refused to take time off to have the surgery to properly treat it, opting to instead continue to wrestle. After the program with Hogan ended, Orndorff needed to uh, reduce his schedule for a few months before he was forced to take some time off because of that injury. While Orndorff was away from the WWF, Bobby Heenan brought in a new man, Ravishing Rick Rude, to take Orndorff's place in the Heenan stable. Orndorff returned to the ring on June 2nd in 1987 in Buffalo, New York during a WWF Superstars taping. Orndorff, along with King Kong Bundy, who had been on TV since WrestleMania 3 as well, returned to team with Hercules and King Harley Race in a victory against Mario Messini, Don Driggers, Paul Roma, and Jim Powers. Oh, how we backslide now. Orndorff received a babyface response from the crowd during his return, leaving the WWF to change his character. He would fire Bobby Heenan two months later to begin a feud with Rick Rude. Orndorff took Oliver Humperdinck as his manager in his fight with Rude and Heenan. So, I want to tell you something else that you've heard before. You're fired! Hey, in case you didn't understand, read my lips. You're fired! This is the beginning of the end of the major yeah. main eventing for Paul Orndorff, and that injury really did it in for him. Um, I, every time I see Orndorff wrestle, I have, I, it's really mean to say, but I tell my kids, I'm all, look, I said, do you see that? They're like, what? 
because Orndorff hit it very well, by the way, when he wrestled, probably played the right camera angles, but we could see it as avid fans. I said that arm is massively reduced to yeah to his his arm. right arm bicep started to atrophy and i think that was his dominant hand too yeah and, and it's just um it's a really tough thing and because i think jess and i have talked about this because he didn't get treatment it was basically too like the nerve was completely severed it's dead there's no going back to yeah his in it. other words his body was sending messages to his brain that your his right bicep is gone and it wasn't yeah, it's but, it's not there yeah, yeah. So eventually, it and imagine still them. wrestling on that, regardless, and the pain that man must have felt every single yeah. day. Yeah, to try to slam people with no bicep. Yeah, I mean, just as an example. So, but you know, he he still went on. So his big last uh, his last big appearance was at an inaugural Survivor Series on November 26, 1987, where he teamed with Hulk Hogan, Bam Bam Bigelow, Ken Patera, and Don Morocco to take on Andre the Giant one man game. King Kong Bundy, Rick Rude, and Butch Reed. Early in the match, Rude eliminated Orndorff with a roll-up. His final match came on a house show on January 4th, 1998 against Rick Rude in Augusta, Georgia. So they have moved on. Rick Rude is the new face to take care of business. Or sorry, the new heel to take care of business. Yeah, it's so crazy. You know, and I, I this is, again, me just guessing. I wonder, because Piper protected himself and retired at WrestleMania 3. Retired, quote-unquote. Mm. Um, he never I, wrestled again after that. <laughs> and I think Orndorff, after his injury, you know, again, I'm just guessing because you know what? It's easy to make Vince the villain, but uh, this just seems like revenge. Orndorff taking the fight to the outside and sends it right back in. Low to the midsection comes over. Uh -oh. He may have him wrapped up. Oh. And Rude reverses no. it. And I believe he got the three count. He did. With the help Fabulous. of the ropes. Fabulous. Ravishing Rick Rude. Ravishing Rick Rude being declared the winner of the match by a pinfall. Like, you didn't want a job for me when I wanted you to job to my hero. You didn't want to do this. You didn't want to do that. And then finally Orndorff gets off the road. Because he was scared the whole time to leave because he would lose the main event money. And he then when he does spot. leave, yeah. he does he lose lost the main spot. event money. And then when he comes back, Vince is like, yeah, you're going to get Oliver Humperdinck and you're a pile of shit. And uh, yeah, like you're just going to lose the recruiter on the horn. And uh, yeah, yeah, you're done. Like you're pretty much done. Your arm is fucking literally shrinking in front of my face, but you're done. And again, I am totally assuming this is the way Vince was, but he was just, bye. Well, like he's crazy. Not, he's, not, he's not exactly a sympathetic man yeah. um no billionaires don't make their billions by being nice or yeah, being yeah. good people or oh, having you, morality you, you, or you ethics or giving it yeah. yeah but you're done yeah. when you come back and when you come back you're going to be in like 14 spaces lower than you were when you left yeah yeah it's it's awful like he should have been rewarded for the next oh i'm sorry i ruined half of your body i will protect you and make you good money for the next five ten years yeah what nah. about an i what about an icy title run nah it was uh what yeah. have you done for me lately no thanks uh, you got to get that right arm built up, uh, Paul. Uh, you look yeah. small as so, shit. Hey, have you ever thought about a bowling of, alley? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, speaking of the arm injury, order. Do you know what a weight is, you piece of shit? In 1988. That's, yeah, that's how I injured you. You fat fuck. Have a stick. <laughs> <laughs> um, order retired early in 88 due to that arm injury, and he focused on running his bowling alley in Fayetteville. I didn't know he had a bowling alley. 
during his time away. It from was wrestling, a wonderful bowling alley. It was wonderful <laughs> um, during his time away. From it was a candle pin. It was full tap pin. The he grand was opening was me, man, Roddy Piper. So, guys, you're, 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 you're burying the lead here. During this time away from wrestling, he was reported to have died. What size your shoes, man? He was reported to have died. Give your shoes back, man. There it is. There it is. <laughs> we have a Piper signing, ladies and gentlemen. Friend, my Bye friend Waterboy, you're opening up a bowling alley. I'll be there, man. Well, make, make sure make sure you read the line about how everybody thought he died. And yeah, the, which know, I never heard of Piper. either. Like, so after when he retired from wrestling, in you died now. What he wanted to focus on his business, but instead people are like, he probably died then. Like, so weird. <laughs> yeah, um, that's just and it made several newspapers for some reason. So don't don't worry about validating the story. That's fine. Yeah, don't worry about no, you know, fine. verification's not needed. The time off was because of the injury to his arm and neck when he suffered during the Hogan feud, and he left it untreated for too long. With that time off, Orndorff recovered and started working out, reestablishing the physique that earned him the nickname Mister Wonderful in the first place. The only difference was that right arm was noticeably smaller due to the neck injury. That caused nerve damage. I'm sorry, nerve damage, and eventually the atrophy of his right biceps. Um, just really for the really, rest uh, of his career, stuff. you always saw that side. We always commented on it. And What's funny though, if you're you if you're if you're like an average viewer, like you're not an avid viewer like us. My like, I, I try to show my kids and my wife a few weeks. I'm like, do you see it? They're like, we don't see it. Yeah, and well, they, he, he covered it very well. He covered it very well. You would see it if you were really into the, in, you know, into wrestling. You're like, oh my god, you watch that match six times, and then eventually you notice it. But for the average viewer, they don't see it. It's it's crazy, you know, um, which is impressive on his part as well. Uh, we're getting into WCW, ladies and gentlemen. We're moving along. 1990, on the May 26th of said year episode of World Championship Wrestling, it was announced that Paul Orndorff will be facing Arn Anderson at the Clash of Champions 11. Hey. Orndorff quickly became affiliated with a group called Dudes with Attitudes, consisting of himself, Sting, Lex Luger, Junkyard Dog, and the Steiner Brothers. So he's definitely a face at this moment. Yes. The dudes back Sting in his fight with the Four Horsemen. At the Clash of Champions 11, Orndorff defeated Anderson. Super cool. Throughout the summer, Orndorff would face Anderson and defeat the WCW TV champion by pinfall on several non-title matchups. He also defeated Mean Mark Callis in multiple house show encounters. Who? Uh, mean Mark Callis. I think we Who's know who that? that is. Who is that? Is that, that is the, the Undertaker. Undertaker. Yeah, Mean Mark Callis. Um, and then Orndorff departed from the promotion that fall. So very short, yeah, particular. very short run in WCW the yeah, first time. Yeah, the first time around. Yeah, so uh, UWF, AWF, and Smoky Mountain. He was there for three years, from ninety to ninety three. By late 1990, Orndorff became one of the featured headliners for Herb Abrams' fledgling Universal Wrestling Federation. If you yes. have not had a chance to watch the Cocaine Cowboy uh, <laughs> on the uh, um, Dark Side of the Ring, uh, please do yourself a favor. The Herb Abrams UWF was a roller coaster ride that ended up crashing into a cliff. Or a, gotta, a side of gotta, a mountain, I should you, say. That, that's a much catch. You got yeah, to get so, one, so. But Orndorff was a part of that. I, I specifically remember when I had my big satellite dish in my parents' house that was probably as big as a fucking moon, the moon. Um, and I would get it. I would watch the UWF, Herb Abrams version of it. And I the, ones, the ones that you actually I remember around, seeing man. guys like uh, Cowboy Bob Orton, uh, Paul Orndorff, uh, Steve Williams, 
and all yeah. that stuff. Like they, he tried to get all the guys that were dying down from the rock and era wrestling or whatever. And yep. Didn't work out, but I remember Orndorff here vividly doing some work. Yeah. And yeah. Mr. This, Wonderful. Oh, sorry. This Wonderful. made me think of a, uh, has there been any talk of on shoot interviews of how he was backstage? Like why was that WCW stint so short and then hopping to uwf was uh, is he there, difficult does no, he no there's never been any negative i think he was very business-like he was like oh you don't have long-term plans for me cool i'm out like and i think that's what yeah. wcw in 1990 was not the no the one that you know crockett promotions was two years before so i think this isn't are, wonderful this is not a wonderful environment <laughs> it's not wonderful for me um so Warner, i should have beat hogan in toronto <laughs> In Toronto. No question. WCW Worldwide is not wonderful. <laughs> so basically, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, attacked Orndorff to kickstart that feud in 1990. Orndorff would also reignite his feud with Bob Orton Jr. in the UWF, where he beat Orton for that UWF Southern States Championship. Yeah. On June 22nd, 1992. <laughs> we need a, uh, oh, fuck, uh, Southern States get over here lay on the bed and get naked we need a southern states championship we'll do eastern seaboard states we'll do other northwestern we'll do a lot of states we'll do a lot of states we'll do a lot of states where's Paul he could be so many states champion it would be so amazing to have it Hooker take your clothes off and lay will have four F's we'll have four F's or we'll be totally different than anything four F's Mr. Winter Polar Indoor. Fuck! I need more cocaine. <laughs> We're never getting through this. <laughs> <laughs> On June 9th of 1991, Orndorff competed in the UWF's only pay per view beach brawl. Oh, a huge Defeating failure. Colonel oh, De Beers in a strap match. Orndorff oh. left the UWF sometime in early 93, vacating the Southern States title. Well, Colonel now De what Beers. Are they gonna do? Uh, they'll get along. In 92, Smoky Mountain Wrestling <laughs> opened its doors for the first time. As they announced a tournament to crown the first Smoky Mountain Wrestling Heavyweight Championship, uh, Orndorff was included in the tournament, but was DQ'd for Hill Tactics in the final. And by the way, real quick, like so who won he, that one? By the way, I no, he lost. Uh, it was the Fake Undertaker. Uh, fuck. Oh no! Yeah, it was the Fake Undertaker. In not Tracy Smothers. What was no, fake it was not Tracy name? Smothers. It was something. Brian Lee. There is Brian Lee. So oh, Brian Lee beats Mr. Wonderful in the finals of the first ever crowning of the Smoky Mountain Heavyweight by Champion. By DQ. And by DQ. And Cornette would to this day wonders why. Motherfucker, why did Smoky Mountain fail? Because yeah. you sucked sometimes, yeah. Jim. I thought if I put it in a box, it'd be fine. I support your ideas sometimes, Mr. Cornette, but you sucked uh, at booking your promotion. So yeah. Let's make a scaffold match. Just because Mr. Wonderful didn't want to lose, he was like, "Let's crown our first heavyweight champion off a of DQ." I still, I still, la I still laugh when I watch Cornette blow his diesel in that scaffold match every time. Yeah. Oh, like, you, you, you kind of you earned that one, bro. It's awful. Lo love you, Jim, but you kind of <laughs> earned that one. Dude, sometimes uh, when I just jump off like uh, a set of three stairs, I feel like that, like that Cornette. Yeah. It's it like could happen when I get out of bed like, in the morning. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like yeah. I tore my ACL. Like, your bed's ah. a little. Your bed's a little. And high, I Jess. consider calling in sick to work because I'm like, I think I tore my ACL. Yeah. Is that a valid excuse? Yeah, only if you drive stick. I don't know. Right. Don't Orndorff returned to, to WCW in late 1992. In January of '93, he took on Cactus Jack, with the winner being manager of Harley Race's uh, chosen replacement for an injured Rick Rude at Clash of Champions 22. Yes. That's a mouthful. 
Brace assisted Orndorff in the match and was quickly joined by Vader in his attack on Cactus Jack. Orndorff was pinned by Cactus Jack in a subsequent Thunderdome match. The two had an intense feud, including a false count anywhere match at Super Bowl three, which Cactus Jack won. We highlighted this in our archives, uh, Cactus Jack uh, legacy. We talked about this. This was one of my favorite Orndorff. Yeah. Super Bowl three, the false count anywhere match is so good. And you have to go watch it. If you want to see the versatility of Orndorff and how he kind of understood what Cactus Jack was all about, you know, a veteran could have been like, fuck it, I'm not doing any of your spots, I'm not doing any of this stuff or whatever. Like, we're just gonna, I'm just gonna beat you, or I'm gonna, we're gonna do a regular by the books wrestling match and then you can pin me, whatever. But like, Orndorff was all into this match. This is a great match. Super Bowl three, Cactus and Orndorff, fantastic. Like, please go watch it. Please, I please, I'm begging you. it's so much different than like wrestlemania one or traditional like rock and wrestling age it shows how much orndorf understood a thousand percent and and even though orndorf uh wasn't doing all the huge bumps he did enough and gave his body even with his atrophied arm to make it like i don't know 70 percent cactus oh my god bumps but 30 percent was orndorf still giving his all too like and taking what he probably shouldn't at his age at that point in his career and telling an amazing story and with an atrophied matches. arm. Yes. He was, mm-hmm. he's one of the toughest men I've ever, like we're going to talk about at the locker room, the shower incident. And we we've talked about <laughs> how we kept working for six months on a, you know, with half of his body didn't work. And we talked this quiet, like um, just power and toughness of this man. Like, of like just a dime a dozen of this guy of this size, but like for the fact that he rose to the top and had such a run, he was a special dude. Um, holy shit! I mean, but these matches with Cactus, like I hope he had fun doing them. I, I I'd like yeah. to think that he did. I know they were special to Cactus, but um, I mean, I know Orndorff was like, we didn't have to do this back in the day. I mean, I'm wonderful, but he really did embrace throwing him. Uh, uh, all over the place and let him do the sunset flips on the concrete and they just killed each other. So fun. All of them. Yeah. Yeah. Great match. After that feud with Cactus had cooled off, Mr. Wonderful set his sights on the vacant WCW World Television Championship. Orndorff signed for a 16-man tournament beating two Cold Scorpio, Cactus Jack, Johnny B. Bad, and then Eric Watts in the finals to win his first title in what? WCW. We're kind of oh, there is a god. There is There's a god. Th- There's too yeah. many people in that tournament if he had to wrestle six times, all those yeah. people. And a belly to back from Orndorff. Paul Orndorff. Orndorff with, on the offense right here. Setting him up for the pile driver. He got it. His leaping pile driver. Paul Orndorff makes the cover. We got, got a new champion! A gallant fight by Eric Watts, but the veteran Mr. Wonderful. Yeah, that's a lot, but that, 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 that's some names. But who did he beat in the final? Eric Watts? Is Eric that what Watts, we just said? Eric there, Watts, is, yeah. there is a god. Yeah. Should have lost, bro. Orndorff, the television champion, and Rick Rude, the U.S. champion, began teaming on a regular basis, including a pay-per-view victory over Dustin Rhodes and Kazuke Sasaki at Slamboree. During this time, Orndorff also turned back the challenges of Ron Simmons, Marcus Alexander Bagwell, amongst others, 
holding on to his television title by any means necessary. His TV title run was really fun in 93. I remember it fondly. It was good stuff. Yeah. But all good things come to an end. On August 18th of 1993, Orndorff's luck ran out as Ricky Steamboat won the title at Clash of Champions 24. Wow. After I, you know what? I don't remember that match. I should go back and watch it that. That sounds good. like it would be uh, Go fun. back and watch the Clash of Champions match. Yeah, with Steamboat. It was good. Yeah. It was very good. After he unsuccessfully challenged Steamboat throughout the fall and winter of 93, Orndorff then moved to the tag team division. The Bigfoot. And Wonderful, Mr. Wonderful, walked into the ghost Steamboat up to the top. The Dragon. Hits it. Big cross body. Bristol by Wonderful. No, Steamboat got away. Ricky Steamboat, the dragon, rolls up on Dorf. He got him. him. We've got a new champion. Here's the official word. After a 93 WWE pay-per-view Battle Bowl, lame, Horseman members... Can we just stop and just say that Battle Bowl on paper was the most awesome thing ever, but in actuality was always the worst thing ever. Yeah, yeah. It really should have been phenomenal and never was. Dusty tried. Dusty tried. Yep. So Horseman members Paul Roma and Arn Anderson faced the semi-regular team of Paul Orndorff and stunning Steve Austin on WCW. I don't know. Saturday night... During the match, Roma acted very indifferently to his tag team partner, sowing the seeds to his heel churn. Next, Roma teamed with Eric Watts to take on the team of Orndorff and Lord Steven Regal. This time, Roma took it a step further and attacked Eric Watts before announcing he was now teaming with Paul Orndorff. Um, well, sorry, sorry, Paul, for, for that. Yeah, one. just, you know, he was fading down, but they put him in tag team. It's fine. Everything's I'm trying fine. to get, trying to build Roma up off the, yeah. you know, whatever. Under the, tool, uh, under the tutelage, excuse me, of manager Masked Assassin, the team quickly began to work well stop. together. Stop. Few- let's, let's just stop and pause there. Wait, was the Masked Assassin the big fat-necked guy? Yes. <laughs> and he was stuffed into the mask. Most people yeah, stuffed and, themselves. He, they, had and he had three roles. Why was uh, he important uh, and why did he always get to manage uh, people? Masked Assassin was a big wrestler in the regional <laughs> days, the territories. But so when <laughs> when WCW was trying to honor the legend, they brought him back yeah. and they had him manage for a while. So, so he was Ted Turner's former like uh yeah. he was a, he was like a, a mid-card wrestling guy like back in one regional territory and so they wanted to paint him as a legend basically is what they did yeah can i still wear my mask for all the you know the magic my, stuff had my I, roles i got under my mask in the following months both roma and order focus on their individual careers before reuniting around may of 1994 this time they wrestled without their manager thank goodness and they were officially known as Pretty Wonderful, with both men great name, re- fantastic yes, name, I like that one. With both men rededicating to teaming, they soon challenged for the WCW World Tag Team Championship, and then held that was then held by Cactus Jack and Kevin Fucking Sullivan. Uh, <laughs> wow, let's forget. I forget that time period. Let's yeah, plow through. Let's plow through. Let's, let's plow through. Going to the Bachelor <laughs> Beach in '94, pretty wonderful. Had the advantages. Both champions were suffering from injuries inflicted by the challengers on previous occasions, kayfabe style. Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan were unable to hold off Roma and Order. Thank goodness, as pretty wonderful left the ring with the gold. 
Pretty Wonderful was immediately challenged by the Nasty Boys after winning that title, but the Nasty Boys were never able to take the gold from those champions. Next, Pretty Wonderful was challenged by the duo of Stars and Stripes, Marcus Alexander Bagwell and the Patriot. This is all, these are all terrible tag teams. Yeah, Yeah, they really are. The (laughs) champions retained, but a week later, the championship changed hands and the Stars and Stripes got the victory. Um, Pretty Wonderful was granted a rematch against the new champions with a match book for Halloween Havoc. Pretty Wonderful regained the titles when Roma used one of the title belts to knock Bagwell out cold. Love it. That's his move! The bridge suplex! That's his move! Oh my goodness! The referee didn't see it. They may get away with it. An elbow! Give me a one! One! Give me a two! two. We got your attention! Yes, yes, yes! This is tag team action at its best! Ladies and gentlemen, the winners and new world tag team champions! Yes! Pretty Paul Roma, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, the team of Pretty Wonderful! During a February 5th, 1995 taping at WCW Worldwide, Orndorff crossed paths with Hogan for the first time since 1987. The duo of Hogan and Savage faced Pretty Wonderful in a televised match, which the latter lost. This would be the only time that Orndorff and Hogan would be matched against each other during the latter's WCW run. I need to find that match. Yeah. I just do. Yeah. Hogan and <laughs> Savage against Orndorff and Roma? Okay. Yeah. Is that on the network somewhere? I don't don't think so. It was on a TV taping. I have to find out where it was. I don't Uh, know. Yeah. Yeah, What did Meltzer give it? What did Meltzer give it? it? (laughs) One and a quarter star. Because Hogan was in it. One. I'm sorry. Uh, Clash of the Champions. Do do this one, Dave. Come on. What? What? Dave. Let's focus. Let's focus. I got it. I got it. 29. So I know I got I got okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I do got at Clash of the Champions 29, Stars and Stripes were granted the final shot at the tag team title, but the challengers also had to put up the Patriots mask on the line. Oh, After God. a controversial oh. double pin finish, Stars and Stripes were declared the winners and thus the champions, putting an end to pretty wonderful second and final run with the gold. Let's talk about the Vader incident. Are you have any more before we get into that? I no, want to uh, know what, what was Stars and Stripes uh, theme music? I need to know this. Uh, I don't I know. To... In WCW, I don't know. I, was... I'm going to go back and watch this or because or, or, it, it sounds you can, like it would you be Kurt Angle's music. We got stars. We got stripes. We got bad world and something. Everything is now. You're, now you're going to make you're gonna it. Was, it was bad. Yeah, bad whatever it is, is Jimmy, Hart's, uh, Jimmy Hart wrote it. Yeah, I'm sure. I, he, I'm sure Jimmy sang it. Whatever it was. Yeah, I screwed that song I wanted to talk about the Vader incident because it's important. And so Orndorff here was semi-retired in 95, but he was kind of a road agent. And Vader was like the top heel, basically. So the the story is, and, you know, of course, Vader and Orndorff tell it differently, but a lot of it's the same. So what happened was Vader was supposed to do a series of interviews. Orndorff was already a road agent. He was at the TV tapings. He was already conducting interviews. According to YouTube, that's it. 
sounds like prog rock. It sounds no, like Genesis sounds is like 14-minute like montage. Welcome, everyone, to WCW yeah. Sunday Night Main Event. It sounds like a generic intro to it was like their, a It was their second theme. So oh, wow. Guys, I just paid 20 bucks for this, uh, the rights for this <laughs> thing that some composer did for <laughs> so, Sorry, just back I'm to I'm sorry, Vader. getting back no, to the Vader. Excuse me. So, so Vader, I guess, was like booked like you know crazy. And he already, like, he got back to his hotel room and he wanted some sleep from touring. And then he got a call from Eric Bischoff that said, get your fat ass down to oh. uh, the TV studios. Orndorff's waiting for you. You have to cut a bunch of promos for the next, you know, month of syndicated television or whatever. So uh, Vader's pissed. So Vader gets down there. He starts to get in his gear or whatever. Orndorff comes in. He's like, why are you late? Why are you late? And I guess Vader was trying to explain to him that Bischoff never told me I had to appear here today. But Vader didn't do it as politely as I just said right now. He was like, uh, go fuck yourself and your mom. And so basically <laughs> that they got both pissed off. So the, oh, what did he happened, go fuck did he go fuck himself and his mother? And then uh, he didn't have time to because when oh, they stood didn't. up and faced each other, uh basically they went at it and I, I again, if you listen to Vader's side of the story in Ordorf's, it's too different, but it's the same. <laughs> I just know flip flops, one punch. Yes. So Orndorff yeah. was in his flip-flops, basically, or, or shower shoes, as they call it. And uh, I don't – it still to this day, it's really unclear who witnessed it. But they started getting into it. Uh, Orndorff told Vader to shut the fuck up because Orndorff is not – like, he's a tough guy. And he doesn't want to take that shit. Vader was Vader, and Vader was known for being a diva and moody. And so what happened was they were in, like, this locker room. And according to Vader – he pushed Orndorff down. Orndorff fell and missed the steel bench by like inches. And Vader knew, oh my God, if he would have hit his head on that bench, I could have killed him or fucked him up really bad. So Vader, this is according to Vader. Vader lets him get up and then Orndorff starts attacking him. And Vader's like, okay, he's a road agent. He's a WCW official. If I don't let him get his shots in, then I'm going to be fired immediately. So he, he takes the shots from Orndorff. Orndorff knocks him on his ass or whatever, and Orndorff starts kicking him in the face while he's down, and then Vader gets up and the fight gets broken up. According to Orndorff, um, I, again, again, Vader gets in his face, Orndorff starts hitting him with his atrophied arm, by the way, like his right arm, and he knocks Vader out. Vader falls down. So again, there, Bischoff has a take on this. Uh, Heenan does. Shivani does. And I want to say Shivani was actually in the room, but I could be wrong. Mm. Um, so there's so many different takes on this. The same scenario happened, but like Orndorff and Vader had different things. Uh, look, I think that Vader was being a bitch. I think that Vader did not expect this old man to start firing off right hands that were very crisp and hurting sure. and, uh, you know, knock Vader down. I don't think Vader like anticipated that. But I could also believe Vader pushing him down seeing that this guy missed the bench by inches and being like, I'm going to get fired, which Vader got fired anyway for this, by the way. But um, I think that I believe both stories. I believe that Orndorff is a tough asshole who stood up to a 390-pound, 400-pound man. And I think that's amazing in his late 40s and with flip-flops on and was ready to trade fists. I think yeah, that's Vader, tough Vader's enough. Vader's a relatively young buck at this moment, too. But Vader at the same time, like, I believe his story where he's like, I realize that if I fucking beat the shit out of this guy, like, I'm going to get fired no matter what because he's born. He got, he got fired anyway. Yeah, and he got fired yeah. anyway. So that's that's so. my thing about the Vader story. So go. Yeah. There's tons of shit online. There's tons of stuff on YouTube. You can hear so many different K-Fave interviews. Go figure it out for yourself. But that's roughly what happened. I, I I do kind of believe Vader's story. I think I think Vader could have killed him, 
Uh, <laughs> I do believe Paul's one of the toughest people in the world. I, but I think there's also a lashing out and then Vader realizing. And there's a, there's, there's a real, there's, there's a, a lot to it. Distinct, and Paul was a, a suit. Distinct age different and wage different here. Like you, and you, you don't strike your boss. And if you're on, um, thin ice anyway or whatever and you know you did wrong like i think i think there's weight to both stories and it, it actually uh vader only told his story years kind of later we always the rumor was orndorff that legend just always it. just yeah, grew orndorff and grew and grew which invader kind of let that happen for a while and credit sure. to him um but yeah I, a little bit of both but i i tend to believe once i saw that shooting with vader it's like shit that kind of makes sense yeah yeah. All right, we're getting to the final ring years here. Retirement for Orndorff in '95. Orndorff did return to a singles competition set, but his most notable match at the time being an unsuccessful shot at the IWGP Heavyweight Championship when he faced champion the Great Muda at Slamboree. Um, I'd like to watch that one as well. I'm sure that was pretty decent. Uh, Slamboree '95. Yeah, Slamboree 95, yep. In May, Orndorff got the golden opportunity to regain the WCW television title. He defeated Brian Pillman in a tournament to earn the shot at the championship. He lost to WCW newcomer the Renegade at Bash at the Beach. Um, or It's hard not to laugh when you hear that. Orndorff was also unable to beat the rookie in subsequent matches, obviously kayfabe, and began to lose confidence in his abilities. After losing more and more matches, including a match on Worldwide to Randy Savage, Orndorff lost all faith in his abilities. The hourly arrogant Mr. Wonderful was riddled with self-doubt until one night after beating himself up backstage after he had another loss, he was visited by the psychic Gary Spivey. <laughs> Spivey. Gary Spivey of the Psychic Companions Network? What are you doing here? I got a vision. I knew you weren't okay. There's something I have to tell you. I know you're not okay. You did? Yes. How did you know that? I got a vision. Psychics know. You gotta listen to me. Gary, I used to be the highest rated wrestler in the whole world. I used to have so many belts that I, I, I could carry them all. I know. I can see these things. You're not okay, but you're Mr. Wonderful. And you're not feeling so wonderful. These things are gonna pass. I see great things for you. You have to be Mr. Wonderful. That's you. That's you. I, I, I used to be Mr. Wonderful. You, but no, I don't know. no, listen to me. You are Mr. Wonderful. They call you Mr. Wonderful. True. Look in the mirror. Who do you see? Look in the mirror. Get up. Look in the mirror. Who do you see? I see you. Spivey convinced Orndorff to believe in himself. And he shouldn't forget he was Mr. Wonderful. That was ridiculous. Orndorff, this Orndorff all sounds ridiculous. In the best way. Yeah. Orndorff became more arrogant than ever. <laughs> But before and began carrying around a mirror everywhere he so, went. So, oh, this is a classic, and I'm going to play the clip here, uh, where like it, 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 Orndorff was part of the Nitro era, which a lot of people don't remember, and yeah. they were trying to redo his character, and like he lost it. It's just this corny skit where he's like Gary Spivey from the Psychic Friends Network comes in, he's like Paul, and he's like Gary Spivey from the Psychic <laughs> Friends Network. Like, it's a total ridiculous skit. It's ridiculous. Plug your show acting. here? What? And he tells yeah. him that, you know, you should believe in yourself. You're Mr. Wonderful. And he comes out with uh, Craig's picture behind him uh, with, a like, a mirror on the back. That's that says, I am number wonderful. And he's looking at himself in the mirror. And his theme music is wonderful. They call him Mr. Wonderful. It's I genius. Remember that. 
It is that. fucking genius. And I remember Craig and I specifically talking, going, this should be the dumbest stuff ever, but it's so great. It like, it's so great. And, like, he was just so awesome. And it lasted very I still love that scene theme song. It's fantastic. Yes. He's the best. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Wonderful. It's so good. Wonderful. But, like, Dave will read on, too, about, like, his injuries finally, like, on the December 11th, 1995 episode of Monday Nitro, Orndorff confronted Brian Pillman after Pillman made derogatory comments about Orndorff. After telling Flair and Anderson how much he respected them, Orndorff told Pillman that he could have been a horseman. And the only reason Pillman was a horseman was because he turned it down. He being Orndorff. Anderson and Flair tried to calm Orndorff down, but Orndorff lost his temper and attacked Pillman. Pillman, uh-huh. Flair, and Anderson then attacked Orndorff, and then Arn Anderson and Ric Flair delivered a spike pile driver to Orndorff in the arena floor during that attack. You got the horseman. You stepped into that den of snakes. Break him up. Get him out of there. Get security down here. Mr. Wonderful Stuff, but three on one, it just ain't gonna happen here. Oh, you mess with one horseman, you mess with them all. It's that simple. No. Oh. Right in the solar plexus. Oh. Oh. They're all over him like a cheap suit. Well, Orndor should have known better than to come out here and get up in their face. Ah, oh, Ric Flair. You talk oh, about no. a cheap shot artist. They got him on the hard floor. Oh no, no, no. What's he no, sending? No, no. He's sending him up for a big no. Oh, oh no! Oh no! Uh oh. Oh, they, they hit. The two of them drove his head into that hard floor. WCW later explained that Orndorff had been seriously hurt in the attack and that his career was over. In actuality, Orndorff was forced to retire due to his previous injuries in the WWF, with the entire right side of his body beginning to atrophy eventually causing his arm and leg muscles to now shrink. It was something he had worked through as best as he could, but by the end of 95, he was forced to retire and started to work as a trainer and a road agent for WCW. It's unfortunate. Yeah, and it just caught up with him. You're going to get here later. I specifically remember this effort, too. Late in 1999, <laughs> he came back and wrestled on a pay-per-view because he, he was wrestled- training... He was training he was like at the a, WCW power plant. And so he, like, started, he must have started feeling good again, maybe. Or? Yeah. And uh, I remember it was on a pay-per-view at Fall Brawl 2000. You're going to get to it. He delivered his pile driver, but it's hard for me to describe. When he pile drove the person, he fell back and whacked his head on the back of the mat and gave himself a stinger and was paralyzed in the ring for a bit. And they. Better students, experience the better annoyed students. A knee lift and down goes John O'Hare. Tendrack missed it. Oh, Tendrack and they stopped the match and Rey Mysterio was crying live on pay-per-view and they stretched him out like it was a real thing Orndorf, like, Orndorf was stretched out or? yeah Orndorf was it was really yeah. terrible like yeah, it was really terrible so he actually gave himself a stinger via, via the pile driver yeah that was so like against the so imagine land, the landing from the pile throwers. driver and then like yeah and then he, he the probably back. slipped and then just yeah didn't he have fell, the, he, the he fell strength and whacked to... his head on the back of the mat yeah he didn't have the strength exactly yeah <sighs> man yeah. So the referee, Charles Robinson, had to stop the match as a result there. And after Orndorff retired for a final time, 
He began to run the WCW power plant there, where he trained several wrestlers. On April 2nd of 2005, Paul Orndorff was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame by Bobby Heenan. His classmates were Hulk Hogan, Rowdy Piper, Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov, Jimmy Hart, and Cowboy Bob. So you know what? That is so that is so fitting and so, so fitting. good. Yes. Perfect. Was that Perfect. wait? What class was that? How, like how that many years? Two thousand five. Yeah, I mean that was was that not the no, that wasn't the first one. I mean, which how far are we into? Hall of uh, Fame? It was uh, Hall of Fame had been done. They they brought it up in ninety five, I think. Uh, so uh, ten years before they, but I mean they they skipped several years. This was the second year that they brought it back in 04, They had 